how are you? It's Andy's girls. How are we? How's it? How's it going? Hi, hi, you guys. Hello. Um, listen, it's late Monday night. What a day. What a journey. I feel like every day is just another um, paradise waiting to be discovered. Yesterday's involved me walking seven miles in the rain, sometimes crying while softly singing to the best of the carpenters. And today I was in bed until after four, staring at my ceiling, wondering <laughs> when it all went awry. Um but I do have to say so much has happened in the world of housewives, in the world of Bravo, in the world of BravoCon. Number one, breaking news alert, mama, which is the thing I keep calling. Like, I've gone from Auntie Sarah to mama to Auntie Sarah to mama to whatever is back again. But yours truly, Gal Friday, except I've definitely got a case of the Mondays, is going to BravoCon at 1.30 in the morning the other day. I confirmed a hotel with friend of the pod, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. So we'll be bunking together. I'm very excited about it um, because I think we have very similar personalities and are also both gluten-free. So I mean, hello, Match Made in Heaven and also Las Vegas. So very excited about that. So I will be going to Las Vegas, a place I have never journeyed to, nor ever thought about journeying to before in my life. But I'm very excited, first off, to hopefully meet as many AGs as humanly possible. If you see me possibly looking harried, possibly staring at the ceiling for six to nine hours, please come say hi. I'll probably cackle. I'd love to give you a hug, but also, you know, a handshake or a smile, whatever works for you works for me. And we'll talk about Shan, I'm sure for many, many hours and likely also Kyle. So um, seek me out. I haven't looked at the schedule yet, but I <laughs> promise to <laughs> before landing. Um, and also, I'll be in LA for a couple days after BravoCon. Should I do an AG meetup? Is that a weird thing to just say out loud when I li- quite literally had not thought about that until this very moment? It's possible. So more to come maybe on that uh, while I am in town on the West Coast. And speaking of, thanks to all of you who have supported the live show and bought replay tickets. They are still available for another couple days to listen to Ryan Bailey and I opine with Crystal Kung Minkoff about all things BH and being on reality TV and more and definitely your support on that. And the Patreon is helping me cover some of these (laughs) costs with BravoCon, which if you ask any content creator about how much BravoCon is costing us, especially those of us who do not... um, work on behalf of a media company and also frankly those who do but um there's nobody i'm going to be billing (laughs) for my time and hotel and food and stuff aside from me so i'm thankful to all of you who have been so generous and so lovely in supporting this journey (laughs) to nevada that might be the name of the first episode a journey to nevada listen anyway a little extra salty. That might be the sodium electrolyte drink I'm drinking. A little extra sassy today because I feel like so much has happened. So there are two things I was planning to unpack until I really unpack them in my head on this episode. One is the New York reunion part two I just watched. I thought there were many interesting points and I left it honestly thinking like, 
puppies feel like real people. And I love that for them. And when was the last time you thought that about a cast of The Real Housewives of New York? Um, Wasn't necessarily a strong reason to cast someone for The Real Housewives of New York. And now I sort of feel like it's a necessity. So I hope to unpack that with you on this episode. But frankly, I don't quite know... (laughs) how much time we will have at the end of this. So fair warning, the drop schedule for the next several days because of traveling and also BravoCon is going to be a little cray because I'm planning to drop a ton of episodes. So I would highly encourage subscribing and also just bearing with me on this wonderful journey um, because I'm planning to record hopefully a lot in LA as well. So when our app's going to come out, I'm going to tell you every 30 seconds. Um, I'm excited to really share with you whatever is going to happen in the next couple of days. But all that being said, I'm hoping to get to the New York recap on this episode. I don't know that I'm going to have the time. So let's see for stream of consciousness conversation, just how fucking long it takes to get through some nuance about a certain article that dropped today. That's right. Um, There had been rumors and certainly a page six piece referencing some talk, some drama, some anxiousness, some nerves, um, some zero fucks mentality that were likely covering other nerves about a Vanity Fair investigation um, that had reportedly covered at least six months of reporting, a substantial amount of time, according, this is previous reporting uh, from page six, that Vanity Fair was working on related to all things Bethany and the reality reckoning. So that I had been talking with some writers and reporters about it. And I just was like, this is going to come out right before BravoCon or it's going to come out on BravoCon, but it's going to be connected in some way with BravoCon. So the Monday before the convention, admittedly to me a little earlier than when I thought it was going to drop, but I I get the reasons why the Monday drop would have um seemed uh, ideal for Vanity Fair. VF did, in fact, drop their quote-unquote expose titled Inside the Real Housewives Reckoning That's Rocking Bravo. Amid disturbing allegations, Bethany Frankel's calls for a union and a whole lot of drinking, reality TV's most popular stars are facing their demons. It was written by Anna Peel. And so I woke up at whatever time today and friend of the pod Sweet Baby Dill, also known as Dylan Hafer, texted and was like, did you read it? And it had just dropped. So I read the article and then I thought, huh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then I posted it to Instagram and was hit by a lot of comments of people who knew exactly how they felt, which was really interesting to read. Obviously, with any kind of conversation inside the Housewives universe, you're going to get a huge spectrum of opinions, including those that are very, very emphatic. Add into any of that a conversation about any kind of reality TV reckoning, and a reality TV audience is going to have thoughts and feels. 
add on to that, Bethany Frankel as the face of this reality TV reckoning. And all those thoughts and feels are going to be heightened to an nth degree. So I was really fascinated by the comments, but I was also having conversation with fellow writers and other folks and and sort of saying, you know, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. Like, I'm not quite sure about how I feel about what I read. And then I just kind of thought about it, sat on it, marinated, got DMs from a bunch of AGs saying, can't wait to hear your perspective while I was still kind of searching for my own. And then honestly, just kind of realized that I had an idea of what I wanted to discuss. And a lot of that, perhaps unsurprisingly, is going to essentially be about the universe that surrounds this conversation versus the conversation itself. Now, I took copious, copious notes on the piece. So if you have read it or haven't, I'm going to have a lot of that information to try to summarize it and um, quote from it as best I can. But first, I just wanted to kind of share some initial impressions about the reception and the ongoing conversation. And I feel like there are a couple camps that surround the universe of reacting to and trying to process or not allow processing around Bethany's reality reckoning. One is that there seem to be a lot of people, and this is a no judgment space in me describing the reactions that I've gotten, but just to quite literally summarize, there are people who feel like the reaction is essentially, you know, a housewife has free will. If you went on reality TV, you should have an understanding at this point, 15 years in or at whatever time you joined, that you know what it is that you're signing up for. Maybe that's based on watching prior episodes or just being aware of the surroundings that envelop reality TV. But regardless, if you had a bad experience, that's essentially your responsibility to bear. Another perspective. Bethany would know better than anyone that this universe is toxic, and she has the right to say and do essentially whatever she wants. She is, you know, the Bethany Clause, noun, verb, and Bethany Clause. She's the person who was able to successfully monetize being on Housewives in a way that, from a pure financial perspective, no housewife before or after her has been able to do what she did with creating and growing the Skinny Girl brand into an empire. And that when it comes to a person having a voice, potentially who better to have one than Madame, you know, mention it all, that this is someone who, for better or worse, has led with a specific kind of perspective and voice. And she is someone who I, meaning a person saying this, might trust more than others, especially because of the many, many years they've seen her on TV and feel like there's a consistency in character, even if that character is complicated, has behaved poorly, that this is someone who, to me, I recognize, I understand, and maybe I trust, maybe I respect. And also, another perspective, regardless of whether or not people had real-world understanding of what they signed up for, there's also some nuance when it comes to exploitation or harm that one has the right to explore. And yet, often the coverage around a reality reckoning is not as layered as it could be. And I would add on to that, 
that often there's a lack of nuance that begins and ends with Bethany Frankel when it comes to a seeming inability to process dissent. That people are either with her and with people who may feel like they've been taken advantage of or are against her and are full of shit and are fame whores, except the fame being looked for is someone, I guess, liking a comment on Instagram. I think the conversation around Bethany is complicated and there are ways in which she appreciates those complications and shits on them. And oftentimes it might depend on the day. That's also the nature of Bethany these days is that one day you watch her posting an Instagram video yelling about lipstick or TJ Maxx and then the next day she's posting talking about how she's working on, you know, being more emotionally vulnerable and listening to people and then the comment after that is her telling someone in comments to go fuck themselves and call her when they're um, rich and famous, and then I guess their opinion will matter. So one could understand and appreciate that because there are so many different Bethanies that we're seeing at the same time, she's seemingly leading this charge based in large part, not just on legality, but the ethics behind it, that it can be confusing and disconcerting for people to try to trust the voice leading the charge when there are also other charges taking place at the real time, at the same time, rather, in real time. (laughs) Words are fun late at night. (laughs) Week of BravoCon. And I think this is a complicated conversation. I think Bethany is complicated. I think talking about reality TV is complicated. And I think it's complicated when people feel pressured or interested in their being only one opinion or many, many opinions, all of them seemingly equally loud. It can be kind of difficult to figure out what element of this is like justified noise versus upset for unrelated reasons. I have to say, and I had this conversation with some people earlier, I understand the reasons that the piece focused on housewives, but I actually think it was a big missed opportunity. I think that there could have been conversation around other Bravo shows, that it could have remained on Bravo. I think that's smart and right, but that there are other Bravo shows missing here, I think, including things that have happened on on and off camera with Southern Charm, with Below Deck, with I mean, Vanderpump Rules was covered in part, but really the thesis statement, or at least the way to grab attention, was focused on housewives. And I just kind of thought, what about all of this other stuff? And in addition to the focusing on housewives was maybe a missed opportunity. Listen, it might have been a huge Bravo push that was edited, cut, things happen behind the scenes. Who knows? But you know, if you're going to focus on housewives, I had this conversation with another content creator earlier, and they raised a point which I thought was absolutely incredibly on the ball and exactly what I was thinking before I framed the words, which was, where was NeNe Leakes in this piece? Where was Dr. Tiffany Moon talking about her interactions with Cam? Where was to me, discussion about eating disorders and the ways that disordered eating and addiction, um, you know, they focused a lot on addiction around alcohol and also drugs, but there are also other ways that 
housewives, editors, producers have been incredibly insensitive when talking about addiction that is um, inclusive of other topics, including both alcohol consumption and alcoholism, alcohol and drug abuse or drug addiction, as well as other topics that have been covered and discussed poorly in housewife storytelling that I wish had been a part of this conversation. Now, maybe that is in and of itself too broad for an obviously very highly researched and checked um, piece and, and essentially sort of an argument. But I just kind of felt like there's some stuff here that's missing that could have been helpful. And I don't know if Vanity Fair approached Nini. I don't know if they approached Dr. Tiffany Moon. But even if they didn't get a comment from these people to not include any of the history of how Dr. Tiffany said, has said on the record, I think it was to, it was either to Variety or The Hollywood Reporter um, during the filming for the last dreaded season, dreadful season as well of Dallas, that she talked about her treatment by the cast and other circumstances. And I was surprised that that wasn't included. And I also kind of felt like there were other ways to address this that maybe would have also included new reporting, like why was none of the Nini stuff, the Nini lawsuit stuff, not a part of this? Unless there might be a follow-up to this deep dive, but it doesn't feel like that is um, as helpful as having it being a, a part of this, uh, again, really well-researched piece. Um, and maybe that's because there was a feeling it had already been litigated. Maybe that's because a lot of the information could have been pulled in conversation from Bethany's pod, and that might have been too much, um, especially if maybe Nini was approached uh, potentially and didn't want to go on the record. I have no information uh, or understanding of what actually happened there, but I do think it was a missed opportunity. Um, and, you know, I I think that some of what is said by some of the few people who went on the record, including um, a producer who worked on season 13 of New York, as well as Ebony and Leah, some of what was said was based on like absolute, seemingly irrefutable fact because there were receipts shared with the reporters, logs of Zoom calls that took place, where if someone said this didn't happen, and then you have a Zoom log of a conversation, obviously something was discussed on this day that came as a direct result um, of some interaction that happened during filming. Versus the idea that like, you know, you're being told information by a producer that seems to be in support of your mental health. But what comes up in the conversation is I inferred there was a threat here. That's a difficult thing to try to grapple with. Because if you are telling us that there's inform, this is, by the way, said without judgment, but if you are saying this person told me things, but I believe they meant differently, that's a hard conversation to try to litigate and understand because a lot of it is being placed on an expectation of trust, maybe that listeners or viewers or readers will have. But also, if your relationship with that audience is based on what is arguably heavily edited content, who is going to be a trustworthy source? 
the reputation of Bethany is like associated with the character of Bethany, how people see her. So some people are going to fucking love her and adore her. Others are going to hate her. And it's based in large part in how we met Bethany and how we have grown to see her develop or not. The same applies to other housewives, but because maybe they weren't seen in as much audience favor, or even if they were, but the relationship didn't last as long, it's a little bit of a trust fall exercise, excuse me, that then becomes somewhat magnified when you get into really complicated, nuanced conversations like these, because I do think that there is an element of trust in play about whose perspective is to be believed. And I think that that's really complicated, especially, again, if we are focusing on a feeling or an instinct that a person has, or maybe the conversation is not necessarily on understanding that instinct as fact versus listening to someone tell their story and just maybe being open to hearing it versus coming out of it um, as a part of a team. And You know, there were also some other moments that I just kind of had a little bit of a huh about. One, you know, Bethany has been responding in comments to her post about, um, you know, her post when this uh, was published on Vanity Fair. And she's been responding to comments, some better than others. One person commenting and saying, Bravo gave her fame and name, and now she's spitting at them. Ha ha ha. And her response was, Harvey Weinstein gave many people their careers also in that moment, directly correlating Bravo TV with a serial rapist in jail for life. I don't know that... um, that direct connection is apples to apples, but um, it is Bethany. Um, so she's going to say things like that uh, fairly regularly, seemingly. And it gets into the heart of the matter when it comes to Bethany leading the charge of all things reality reckoning, because Bethany is often, it's really like the binary of Bethany (laughs) versus anything else where the conversation, at least according to Bethany, oftentimes, not always, changes on the day, but the conversation appears to be at many points and one seemingly um, enforced by the Bravo audience at times that either you fully support Bethany at the helm of this or you don't care about folks on reality TV. And when we start with that, that like you have to support Bethany being in charge of this or you don't care about the folks who might be taken advantage of or more vulnerable, that's a difficult kind of conversation to have. And yet also there is, I think, a a continued conversation when I've had repeatedly at length on prior AG episodes, most assuredly in the ones dealing with her three, four, I literally don't even remember, feels like years ago at this point, conversation with Rachel um, about her experiences and and response to all things Scandaval and audience reaction and more. That, you know, if you don't support Bethany at the helm or talk about complications around her being the face of this while also sharing many, many different faces on social, that somehow you are unable to participate in the greater conversation. And I think there does remain a conversation to be had about the fact that Bethany herself is 
very complicated and often counterproductive and often explosive. And I don't know if that kind of personality type is the kind that I would want to lead any sort of unionizing drive. Um, There's also the conversation of people having on social saying, you know, if Bethany wasn't at the helm of this, this would get further along. I don't know that I would agree with that. I think there's something to be said for Bethany's fascination and obsession and um, success at driving media attention. And sometimes, a lot of times, that media attention is often negative, being directed her way, but it keeps her at the heart of conversation, or at least, maybe not conversation, but attention. So could there be a more ideal former alum from reality TV leading this? Sure. Would it sustain itself and get this kind of attention without her? I'm not I'm not sure. Does that mean she's the appropriate person to lead this and be the face of it? I would say maybe not. Would it be ideal if she was like partnering with someone? very possible but is she interested in sharing that I, d- I don't know that's a that's a question for her and she would probably shut you down before you finish asking it so um you know a part of it too is like in sharing some of her reactions uh in replies to people and comments for her post about the vf piece you know People say, you know, but you be- behave poorly or or you did something. How do you not know that this um, universe was toxic? You were in it for so long. And her response is, I left. Now, obviously, she had been in talks with a production company about producing a reality TV show mere months before she started this work. Obviously, there are any number of social media posts and and things that she has said online that have been cataloged and reshared about her objecting to other people, including Aviva Drescher and and other former New York alums and expanding outside that universe of her denying their realities when they discussed in years past feeling uncomfortable or maybe manipulated or used. And her saying, essentially, that's impossible because I went through this. So if Bethany went through something and didn't experience it, it didn't exist until now, in which many different experiences also exist in real time. And that's complicated. And I do think, as a Bravo podcaster, um, noting, you know, seven years in, I'm certainly following in Bethany's footsteps, because I I believe she did tell us in press interviews that she created the space of nuanced conversation about Bravo when she started her pod. But, you know, Bethany's conversation is saying, essentially, I left reality TV, so I am separate enough from it to talk about it and repeatedly discuss the ways that I might be harming my future career. And also, maybe I'll go back in. But I think when you are focusing on the toxicity of the Bravo universe while hosting and producing a podcast, ostensibly based almost solely, it's expanded outside of that a little bit, but almost solely or at least certainly initially and broadly in the Bravo space, that can be kind of difficult to understand. Because when you're saying that you left Bravo, you left the Bravo universe, and now you're creating a Bravo podcast because, listen, it's good business, what are we supposed to understand from that when you potentially record future episodes talking about how great it was when you had a meltdown in Miami or when this person happened on that. 
when you're recapping these episodes for the purposes of recapping and maybe having great downloads, because she'll take to social to hype how her episodes and shows have charted as well she should, right? But when she's continuing to have a stake in the Bravo conversation, not associated with a reality reckoning, while seemingly focusing solely on a reality reckoning, that can be difficult to try to understand. Because how much of that separation are we doing like one step in and one step out? How much of that are we acknowledging? And why didn't Vanity Fair acknowledge that? They referenced Rewives really when talking about Jill Zarin's experiences um, on New York and things she shared with Bethany and how that may or may not have affected her future employment. But we're not really talking about Bethany's participation continued in the Bravo universe. Like, why aren't those questions being asked? I thought it, it, we were missing a little bit. And again, that could have been too outside the sphere of this. And I've done Bravo reporting. I've written a number of um, pieces about any number of topics associated with how one could perceive the psychology of housewives or not for the Daily Beast, among others. And there are often moments where it's like you want to add in nuance. There's things that can make a piece to me dynamic and interesting that just don't work for the piece itself. So it's entirely possible there was a complicated conversation around Bethany as the stakeholder here that wasn't included or maybe wasn't appropriate for this specific piece. It doesn't mean it shouldn't exist, but I do kind of wonder, while also understanding the nature of rounds of edits and, you know, many hands being involved here and also the legal implications that this might not have been the right arena, but it doesn't mean that arena shouldn't exist elsewhere. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. 
Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDESGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDESGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andesgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andesgirls. Sign up today. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. <laughs> Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet 
And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. They're leaving conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T H E ouai.com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com with promo code Andy. Um, but that's also going to be a conversation. And also, who was the audience for this? Was the audience Vanity Fair readers? You know, I'm a subscriber. I'm a, I'm an ally to Vanity Fair. I'm a long, long, long time Vanity Fair reader. I'll just think in the middle of the night, oh my God, I remember that Dominic Dunn piece from like 90 whatever that I remember reading years after it was published or maybe not. Um, I'd love to read that again, read that again. So then I like Google it and I'm doing some random stuff late night going back into the VF archives. I'm a big, big fan of Vanity Fair. I just kind of wonder who was the audience for this. Was it Vanity Fair readers? Was it Bravo fans? Was it people who kind of... are both identify as both a subscriber or someone interested maybe in greater pop culture and society as well as the society of bravotv.com because I think that also is helpful to understand and I appreciated that the writer the reporter identified in the piece being a bravo fan and a bravo holic because I think that's also helpful to not only acknowledge but understand also I would assume makes the writing of this potentially a lot more interesting um and maybe seemingly required um But anyway, listen, I've spent eight years talking about the kind of conversation around the piece. I do want to get to the piece itself. And I say that noting there is almost no way I'm going to be able to get into the New York reunion. So you will likely have a separate episode of that um, very, very shortly. Uh, And I think it's worth it because I thought the New York reunion was quite interesting. Okay, but continuing into... The Vanity Fair nuts and bolts of the piece. Let us now mention it all or mention most. Um, So a lot of the piece is focused on Leah and Ebony's experiences and realities uh, during and following Housewives, which I thought was interesting. Now, the conversation notes, the piece rather notes that there were, you know, any number of current and former Housewives who spoke off the record, but very few names that spoke on the record, including Bethany, um, Leah, Ebony, um, a um, producer on Housewives. Obviously, Bravo had any number of responses to various allegations throughout it. But I did kind of think it was interesting not necessarily odd, but interesting that Lee and Ebony were the two who I felt were most heavily focused on when it came to people sharing their stories. Obviously, Ramona was a big focus, but not necessarily as someone sharing her experiences doing reality TV versus responding to many of the allegations throughout the piece, which um, some were less surprising than others. Like there were things discussed in this that were not um, 
breaking news. Like the to have someone go on the record, absolutely. But when it came to rumors about why the season 13 reunion didn't air or rather um, Ramona's behavior during filming for season 13, a lot of this had already been published, but by um, gossip um, tabloidy stuff. Like the Daily Mail was on top of Real Housewives of New York season 13. Seemingly New York won weather style every hour. There was an updated weather report on the absolute storm cloud that was the production surrounding season 13 of New York. So if you're a Bravo fan reading this, you might say to yourself, I feel like I have already heard about this on Reddit or on Instagram or Daily Mail or Page Six or somewhere else. But if you are a less 24-7 style Bravo-holic, which I feel like is really sort of the only kind of Bravo-holic one can be these days, but kudos to you if you're nine to five. I mean, honestly, I'm super gel. But if you're a Vanity Fair reader, this could certainly be all um, news. And also there's something to be said for having people go on the record. And also being in a position to get some sort of response from the network. Um, So essentially, the piece begins, and this is going to be in summary so that I can get through the 900 points um, associated with uh, the writing in this. Piece begins with a housewife talking about drinking to excess, urinating on themselves, and feeling like um, they were too drunk to film. Turns out, as stated later in the piece, that housewife was Leah, who said that she was at points during filming the uh, franchise too drunk to film, but was uh, encouraged um, by production to continue. At one point, the head of Shed Media said that Housewives is, quote, a comedy. The piece to me is arguing that it's not or not exactly only that. There's a dark comedy and also seemingly a tragedy playing at the same time, often the comedy coming at a cost. So essentially, there's a recollection, a recollection rather, words are fun, of a 2019 trip to Mexico that's described at the beginning of this story that is um, one of uh, many. So I'm just going to read directly from the Vanity Fair piece. It's one of many interviews conducted over many months with current and former housewives, producers, and Bravo staffers about the things that viewers haven't seen racist language and behavior, the real-world effects of making entertainment out of destructive interpersonal relationships, the downsides of fame and substance abuse beyond the meme fodder that drives fan discourse. Shots fired. According to some housewives, Bravo should answer for breaking them down for storylines. According to those who are responsible for the shows, however, the casts are largely in control of their own destinies. Now, with one of the most famous Bravo stars, Bethany Frankel, calling for a union, two legal complaints filed by talent in the last year, and NBC Universal releasing renewed guidance around cast behavior and production oversight, the Bravo verse is in the midst of a reckoning. So, Essentially, there were many kind of pieces of nuts and bolts of how the Housewives universe impacted Ebony and Leah's experiences um, during, actually before, during, and after. For example, producers would hold up um, prods on their phones, essentially trying to get people to like 
talk about Sonia's drinking and do things during filming, like a producer would write in bold font and hold up on their phone, this is the thing I want you to talk about in this conversation and then continue on. Sometimes cast members would abide by that and sometimes they would ignore it. Bethany, for example, said she was encouraged by producers to talk about hashtag it's about Tom, something that production sources denied. The piece also covered these ideas of hot sheets, which were daily recaps from production of what occurred, which was sent to Andy, other executives, people at the network, you know, production company leadership, things that were discussed or moments that were discussed during the course of the day, some of which might um, end up in later episodes, other of which were just kind of like helpful to know what the fuck was going on on the ground. But not everything was included in those hot sheets, like reportedly, allegedly, when Ramona used the N-word in full conversation with a black producer working on season 13, among other racially hostile behavior, um, accusations that Ramona herself denies. Leah shared that she relapsed a few months before initially joining Real Housewives of New York and felt pressure from production to up the drama, which to her directly correlated and connected to binge drinking. So she kept drinking to excess. She said that she and Andy at one point discussed when she relapsed and she felt Andy was disappointed her relapse wasn't on camera. The next season, Sonia drank to the point of vomiting and urinating on herself, which wasn't shown in an episode. Years prior, a cast member said her drinking crossed a line. Bethany held an on-camera intervention with Sonia that didn't hold. Leah said production only intervened about her drinking after cast members complained during the trip in Rhode Island. Shout out my fellow roadies. Remember, she like threw a ravioli and something else. Production called her after that and said that she needed to talk to a mental health professional, someone named Dr. Barry. A check-in that other cast members have had, one of whom said it felt like a ploy to get them to dig in more, i.e. this person calling for a mental health check, but maybe a part of that mental health check is like, why aren't you delivering? Or whatever else. Now, the Vanity Fair kind of went into the who the fuck is Dr. Barry and why does he say he's like a game developer on his website, which wasn't unfortunately new information because relatively recently, Brandy Glanville took to social. I think she included a screenshot of Dr. Barry's actual cell phone number from someone texting her saying something along the lines of, hey, Brandy, it's Dr. Barry. Would love to talk. And Brandy was like, who the fuck is Dr. Barry? And posted that on social. So the real Dr. Barry was, I guess, introducing himself to Brandy Glanville and receiving the kind of response one would probably expect from Brandy at any um, time over the course of a week, which was to be like, who the fuck are you? And let me share all your info with my followers online. So Dr. Barry seems like a little bit of a um, character without truly knowing anything about him. And I, I guess shout out to Dr. Barry. I really, I aside from a cursory glance at his website, once the Brandy Glanville stuff came out, because I was like, who's Dr. Barry? I really don't know anything about him, although for some reason in my head, 
based on literally nothing. I was thinking about a character actor from Barry and many, many other shows whose name pronunciation I'm sure I'm going to butcher. But if you think of this character actor who I think of fondly, his name is Fred Melamed, M-E-L-A-M-E-D. I had to Google the cast of Barry to be like, what the fuck is that guy's name? And if you just Google image him, you'll know him from any number of shows and movies and other things. And I don't know why, but based on absolutely not knowing a single thing about Dr. Barry, aside from the coverage of um, what happened when Brandy Glanville was like, what the fuck, Dr. Barry? And, you know, the Vanity Fair piece, I just feel like that is the face spiritually that I have in mind when thinking about him. So essentially, if you remember the Mishigas that happened with Brandy, the um, introduction to this person, this um, artiste, Dr. Barry, is not necessarily as surprising, although still fascinating that that would be the choice. But I guess, listen, he's a mental health professional. He calls to have check-ins. Some people feel some ways about those check-ins versus others. Continuing on in season 13, Leah was sober, but in grief over her grandmother who was dying as the um, show was filming. She said that production told her at points that they had her back and that she could leave filming in the Hamptons at any time. Was it the Hamptons? That she could leave filming whatever trip they were on at any time. But she felt that some of that was manipulative. She said she texted producers after the fact, after her grandmother passed. She had eventually left filming early to be with her grandmother. Unfortunately, her grandmother passed before she was able to see her. And she said that after the fact, she texted producers saying, you know, my grandmother would have wanted me to keep filming, which now she feels was akin to someone with Stockholm syndrome. Leah said at one point she was told by production that the reason the audience turned on her was because of her behavior after becoming sober. They denied drinking being at the center of that convo to Vanity Fair. She said weeks after formally finally leaving the show, she suffered a serious depressive episode and was later hospitalized. After months of work and healing, she was approached by the powers that be to join Ultimate Girls Trip with legacy seemingly dangled in front of her if it went well. She was offered $250,000 a week to film Ultimate Girls Trip. Um, This is the Vanity Fair piece, uh, a direct quote. McSweeney got a text from fellow UGT cast member Marisol Patton before filming began. I support your sobriety, obviously, and I could never do what you do because I don't have your willpower and I marvel at what you have done, Patton wrote. And then... But on that note, I wish you were still drinking. That's all. Yes, I sent the text message, Patton told Vanity Fair. There was a collective memory of the girl running around throwing tiki torches and skinny dipping, and that is who I was hoping to go on vacation with. Though McSweeney was vocally sober, cast member Heather Gay asked Leah if she was drinking and said, let's get Leah drunk. Another cast member, Giselle Bryant, said to McSweeney, like, if you drank this week, would that be a big deal? McSweeney said it would ruin my life. Continuing with the recap, Leah asked a producer if they had told Giselle to say that to her, let alone on camera. She said she didn't want people to undermine her sobriety. She said she was told in response to get out of her own head. 
After being prodded during filming Ultimate Girls Trip to discuss their favorite and least favorite parts of being a housewife, because you know the whole thing with Ultimate Girls Trip is like, let's break down that fourth wall and have a kiki, um, which is certainly one of the most interesting parts of the show itself. Leah talked about the choices made and the pressure she felt to remain and stay filming and also continue drinking, stay filming when her grandmother was dying and drinking um, following her relapse. She said that she was allegedly told later that production was upset at her for mentioning this on camera and that after the cast piled on her, which was shown during the episode. Reportedly, Heather Gay actually supported what Leo was saying and the idea of not going to your grandmother's side because of feeling the pressure of production, which wasn't shown in the final edited app. Before Girls Trip finished shooting, Leah had a panic attack. She asked for producers to be kept away from her when she had been brought to the hospital and was placed in whatever area of the hospital she was in. That information I don't have. And then later, after uh, being back from Ultimate Girls Trip, um, later on in the fall, she discovered that she wasn't going to be on Legacy after all. Now, I should note in here that I did not finish that season of Ultimate Girls Trip. I was very annoyed after Giselle Bryant made a anti-Semitic quote-unquote joke on her podcast that she didn't acknowledge. I had a healthy conversation with Robin about it offline, and Robin sort of seemed to understand. I, I do think that Robin understood what it was that I was trying to say as a Jewish podcaster in the Bravo Suisse. I don't remember if Oh, now I do. Page six, um, I think, linked to what I was saying on social. And after that, uh, that joke, that moment from the episode, I believe was taken out. Not before. <laughs> Not after. Robin was like, we're removing it. <laughs> that didn't happen until page six was like, oh, this is an interesting conversation. And then there we went. Progress. Um, so I have to say that I didn't watch the whole uh, season. I feel no guilt about that. It was not a good one. Um, I don't need to listen to someone litigate who drank a third of a like $100 or less bottle of tequila like it's the fucking Indiana Jones and the search for that goddamn bottle on vacation. I mean, I don't think Indiana really would have been into that. That's not exactly the artifact he was usually searching for. So, you know, I, I don't really know the nuts and bolts of what happened in those edited episodes. Um, I don't know what uh, was shown and how that looked when it came to um, Leah having a medical crisis. I don't know how that was shared from a narrative sense. And I can almost guarantee you I am completely fine not watching those episodes because the ones that I did see weren't great. And it sounds like they went worse from there. So there are some things I'm fine not um, not watching. It's a small number when it involves the Housewives universe, but it certainly does include that season. So just to um, be incredibly open, not incredibly, just, just to be open about the fact that I haven't seen that part. So on March, continuing on, on March 10th, 2023, McSweeney and her attorneys filed an employment discrimination complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against Bravo, Shed Media, and its parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery and uh, 
Cohen, Shannon, Paparazzo, some of the um, and Ward, some of the producers and production folks um, who are discussed uh, specifically in the VF piece. And they cited a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. On May 15th, the attorney representing all respondents denied the claims. The response stated that, and this is directly from VF, the response stated that McSweeney's disabilities were allowed for, that she was not retaliated against. The response says, in fact, production spent endless amounts of time accommodating her and only internally expressed frustration with the fact that she was knowingly misrepresented, misrepresenting what had transpired. The attorney also pointed out that complainant herself spent much of New York season 12, the season of her relapse, discussing and sometimes even mocking the alleged disabilities that are now the subject of the instant complaints and stated complainants need for affirmation was never ending Jesus but that need was completely separate from any alleged disability the response notes several instances of support but McSweeney maintains those were either subsequently reneged on or she felt weren't offered in good faith I did not know about the lawsuit um so that is one of a couple that comes up over the course of this deep dive I have no idea what specifics are involved with the ADA, also known as the Americans with Disabilities Act, when it comes to a violation. I can I, I really truly don't know. I'm wondering if that information will be shared with us publicly at some point or not. During this time, Leah, her name was the drinking word on Watch What Happens. And there was also in the lead up for season 13, getting back to now Ebony's experience on New York, a seemingly cover our asses call to talk about racial sensitivity with the cast before season 13 began filming. Ebony, who was also on the record for Vanity Fair, said during a moment of, quote, open dialogue that Ramona expressed displeasure at not being able to discuss, for example, whether black children came from single parent families. I think she cited a study she had read or seen some sort of God only knows what that was probably sent to her as a voice note in her DMs. So that's me joking. That's not a literal. That's not Ramona's literal response. Um, so there were uh, here's another uh, direct quote from Vanity Fair. There were moments of friction around sexualized language during filming and, and what it means about a person. And when Luann called Ebony a quote, uh, angry woman, she immediately felt it was a direct connection with the angry black woman trope. This is the quote. Ramona slammed her hands on the table. She, according to, uh, to Ebony, she goes, this is why we didn't need black people on the show. This is going to ruin our show. Singer emailed Vanity Fair. This quote absolutely, unquote, did not happen. Quote, in fact, I supported adding diverse cast members well before Ebony was added. And um, there's a note from the writer that the hot sheet about that argument, which aired during filming, didn't include the line Ramona was alleged to have said. Also that season, Ramona allegedly told a black woman staffer on the show, there's so many of you guys here now, please don't change your hair as I'm not going to be able to remember anybody's names. Ramona says this was the kind of thing she commonly did 
It was a, quote, strictly a commentary on my inability to remember names. As an example, just last week, I saw a photo with me and Travis Kelsey from 2016 on Watch What Happens Live, and I thought he was Jax Taylor. She emailed Vanity Fair, referring to a Vanderpump Rules cast member. According to two people familiar with production, Singer exclaimed, there's so many black chicks. Singer denies saying this, though footage that aired in the season shows her using the phrase, quote, black chicks. There was a black female producer who was hired to work on season 13, which she felt was directly connected to Ebony being on the cast and went on the record with Vanity Fair. Yet, she said, um, some non-Black cast members from New York didn't seem to acknowledge her. She said she also wasn't introduced to the cast as other producers had been. She said that Lou, Sonia, and Ramona didn't respond to her outreach, including over text, and that continued until there was an argument about whether or not Ramona sees color that she had with Ebony on camera. She's uh, The producer said that after filming that, Ramona said she felt her argument with Ebony reminded her of when a Catholic slur was used against her in college, which she said was being called a shiksa, which for those of you out there is a Yiddish term for non-Jewish person. And I have to tell you, this is the first time, while I don't represent all Jews or really truly any part of Ramona Singer, I have never heard of the term shiksa being used as a slur, let alone a Catholic slur, in Ramona's words. Um, Ramona then told this producer, who is a Black woman, that it was like if someone used the N-word with her and... Just to make clear, she did not say, quote, the N-word. She used the entirety of the word. Ramona, in conversation with Vanity Fair, or rather in response, she denied using the N-word and said, while she didn't remember, while she didn't mention, uh, while she did rather mention the Shiksa experience, she didn't directly connect that um, with what had been going on with filming in New York. So I assume that Ramona is just a very big Jason Robert Brown fan, as many of us are, and had just been listening to the cast album of the last five years, which I have honestly on retainer and was listening to Shiksa Goddess and was like, oh my God, here's something I remember from, you know, my journey as a proud supporter of musical theater. Um, So back to the Vanity Fair piece, the producer said she mentioned what happened with friends and family, obviously was incredibly upset about that interaction. The Vanity Fair reviewed a lot of those communications. She also said she told production, who said they were sorry it happened to her. She said that other people... So reported Ramona throughout that season of filming and that allegedly the reason that they didn't have a reunion was not because of scheduling, which is what many blogs, creators, hot goss, yada yada were led to believe, but because of investigations into Ramona's conduct. Ebony said at one point she tried to quit, was cajoled into staying. She said she was reminded at that point that the show was supposed to be a comedy. She said also that the finale dinner was held at Ramona's house. It used cotton for a tablescape until Ebony intervened to share why that was inappropriate. After the show began airing, Ebony heard about what Ramona had been saying to members of the crew, information she didn't know before, and requested a series of meetings. She said after that point or during that point that any investigation into Ramona's behavior was essentially inconclusive. 
She does, though, say that someone at one of those meetings on on a call confirmed that the company determined Singer had said the N-word. But Ebony says the lawyer, who was not representing NBC Universal, tried to downplay the issue. To paraphrase, and this is again directly um, quoting Vanity Fair, Singer didn't call the producer the N-word. She just said the N-word. Williams said that NBC Universal's chief diversity officer, who was biracial, was present. He told the lawyer, no, what we're not going to do is sit here and litigate the capacity in which the N-word was used in the presence of a black woman. NBC Universal did not have comment. Ebony said, that was the only time I felt like anybody on the other side of this had any competency. The producer mentioned has not been hired for any Bravo shows since working on season 13. Just to also add in a little sidebar here, um, when it comes to uh, interactions between non-Black and Black cast members or members of the crew, I was surprised that any reported rumor about the first couple weeks of filming season 14 of New York was not referenced. There's a lot of speculation about what allegedly happened leading to the departure of a housewife who may or may not have referenced the use of terminology that would have been incredibly inappropriate to reference. Totally alleged, total, you know, uh, complicated, heated gossip that's been um, discussed on social. I have truly no information about that. I was just surprised based on the online conversation that that wasn't included as a, you know, in the next season of New York, something allegedly happened, but it wasn't. And maybe that's because the person didn't stay. Uh, The person alleged to have been involved in this didn't stay. I have truly no idea. Um, Okay, continuing on, Bethany said that Jill's appearance on Rewives, her podcast, is what actually inspired the reality reckoning when Jill said she wasn't told about Bobby's funeral filming, something that I get into at length on prior Andy Scrolls episodes, so highly encourage you to go there for the nuts and bolts. Um, She said that, sorry, and then the conversation turned to Morocco allegations about whatever the fuck happened on a possibly upcoming or not season of Ultimate Girls Trip. There are allegations that Brandy kissed Caroline Manzo, potentially without her consent, pushed her against a wall. And this is using um, direct quotes from Vanity Fair referencing other reports and trigger warning. But honestly, this entire episode, whenever you get into anything, reality reckoning comes with um, any number of warnings, um, but reportedly put her hands on Caroline's breast and vagina without her consent. Both women, Brandy and Caroline, have hired attorneys. Brandy has asked for the full footage to be released. She said she was never alone with Caroline and that production didn't intervene. This is one of two moments when I lost my shit reading the piece because based on the gravity of what was discussed in this response, I did feel a little bit like I was living in some kind of upside down. But cast member Phaedra Parks told Vanity Fair that she was sober that evening and observed that Glanville and Manzo's interaction was nothing short of a modern-day Harlequin romance. Love was winning. Which is quite a statement to say when we're talking about issues relating to consent. 
and noting Phaedra's history and talking about rumors relating to consent on Atlanta for her to say love was winning in relation to this. It's not funny, but the timing and positioning of that quote was like so wild that it took me a second because just Phaedra is such a wordsmith. Some of those words used for good and the way she phrased that, I just thought, oh, my God, Phaedra. Oh, my goodness. Um, continuing on, uh, Brandy said she heard nothing about the situation and still or heard nothing from the powers that be until she started posting about Bravo and Ultimate Girls Trip on social media while she was hospitalized for inflammation in October. At one point, at which point, rather, she got a text from guess who? Barry Goldstein, who she had never heard of, telling her he was a psychologist who wanted her to call for a check-in. That didn't go great if you were watching some of Brandy's reaction on social. VF Peace notes that Bravo recently announced this season will premiere in 2024, though a source with knowledge of executives' decisions says the network is still discussing whether it will air at all. My guess is it's leaning more that it won't than will because I don't know how you get around what happened that night and how the cast responded to it or did not. The fact that Caroline left early, everything that has come since, and also the fact that Manzo and Glanville, also known as Caroline and Brandy, now have their own legal teams. I don't know what benefit Bravo would have than to escalate an already extremely sensitive and also legal situation by trying to like wrap it in the bow of Ultimate Girls Trip zany storytelling, regardless of what happened. And that's a big regardless. It is entirely possible that we will never have an understanding or more information on the record of what occurred. It is also possible that they will air Morocco. My assumption is while they said, you know, New York's coming first because, you know, we're just so we're riding high with the reboot that that happened as a alleged possibly tactic to push off that all things being true with like New York doing great, that that was also a tactic to put off the decision of what the fuck to do with Morocco. They might still be filming confessionals. They might still be like potentially readying this. I have literally no idea. But the idea that they haven't decided yet what they're going to do, including whether or not they air it, is not surprising. I would assume that that is like the most realistic of situations to be in now of like, noting that there is a genuine possibility this will not air um, because it's just such a fucking shit show, honestly, for lack of a better term. So who knows what will happen there. But um, turns out on October 20th, Caroline's lawyer filed suit on behalf of not Caroline, but Marco Vega against NBC Universal, Bravo, Peacock, Warner Brothers, Shed, and Forest Productions, a subsidiary of Shed. Vega, who we will all remember as the on-screen butler on an Ultimate Girls Trip arc at um, the at um, uh, Dorinda's place, <laughs> Dorinda's Bluestone Manor. Oh my God! Alleges that in the lawsuit that Brandy sexually harassed Vega and that um, Parks, meaning Phaedra, smacked his bottom. 
According to the lawsuit, defendants allowed, condoned, and even encouraged Ms. Glanville's sexually aggressive and offensive conduct on others on the set, according to the lawsuit, and Warner Brothers does not comment on pending litigation. There are other reality TV shows, competition and otherwise, including The Bachelor, The Challenge, that have strict drinking guidelines, other shows that have strict psychological testing prior to filming. Seemingly, because The Housewives isn't a, quote, competition show, they don't have to adhere to the same guidelines other reality TV has in place. Then the piece gets into this is see this is what I'm telling you it's the longest episode ever I'm talking about this VF piece can you imagine if I then went into New York guys I need like a ten before that my goodness the piece then gets into all things Andrew Cohen um, uh, especially focusing on his silence or ways of um, describing uh, Rachel during the height of the scandal including the fact that he didn't correct or intervene when there was heightened. Um, one could say verbal assaults uh, being directed toward Rachel during the reunion and also on episodes of Watch What Happens Live. Bethany has thoughts, unsurprisingly, and says to VF, you can't in... um, Uh, In response to the idea of Andrew, you can't be the leader of the universe, then act like you don't know what was going on it, Frankel says of Cohen. I was part of it, she says. I wanted to be Andy's favorite. I loved that I was Andy's favorite. I loved that I was able to make good television and produce it at the same time. I love that producers knew I was the best. I was in the machine. I was the machine. I created the machine. Of her new mission to remake the medium that made her, Frankel says, it's my penance. And then the other um, favorite part of this interaction, which was presented with the idea that she might participate in Frankel's organizing, Ebony said, fuck Bethany Frankel. You think I'm going to let some white girl speak for me with my experience with a multi-billion dollar corporation? And also, there were updated protocols that came and were announced um, by Bravo about making more secure, safe um, experiences for both the cast and crews working on Bravo shows, which per Vanity Fair only came about after Vanity Fair approached Bravo to respond to their long form piece, i.e., we know there's a shitstorm coming, let's make some umbrellas. My goodness. Now, circling back to 15 seconds ago, when it comes to the um, Bethany's um, focus on Andrew as the face of all of this and sort of tearing down that face one scratch at a time, um, again, I would also encourage you to listen to some earlier (laughs) Auntie's Girls episodes. Just surf the waves in the AG catalog because I think for many people, probably including Andy and maybe to some extent Jeff Lewis, there will be a kind of hashtag never forget energy directed toward that faded, possibly ill-fated episode of Watch What Happens Live when Bethany said ever since that she felt humiliated and taken advantage of when Andy had some thoughts about her podcast and other stuff. And Bethany felt that she was manipulated seemingly to look like a fool on camera. And 
she has not let that down, let that guard down or let that upset down, not for a single second since. And I think in many ways it has shaped that that humiliation has like led the pack for her. While she says that Jill kicked all of this off, I think a couple months, several months rather earlier actually did. I think it was that night at Watch What Happens Live when Bethany felt like she was a punchline. And according to other moments in history, sometimes when people feel like they've been humiliated in public, their way of seeking vengeance is as public as humanly possible doesn't mean she doesn't also feel fervently that this reality reckoning might happen. But it does mean that I do think that moment framed something in her head about the experience and the cost of being a part of reality TV and a part of Bravo specifically, and what happens when she's not driving the train. Because she wasn't driving the train that night at Watch What Happens Live. But you better fucking believe she's driving, driving the train of this reality reckoning. To which I say, toot, toot. Did you read the piece? I mean, I feel like I fucking read it just now. (laughs) There was a lot to talk about. There was a lot to unpack, I think, because I've had this conversation on AG about the idea of the reality reckoning, reckoning about the psychology behind Housewives, about the universe of filming reality TV and the nuances behind it. I felt sort of the responsibility of discussing it um, with y'all tonight. And don't you fret, there will be episodes dropping like hotcakes this week about New York, about hopefully whichever other shows are airing, Salt Lake City, other stuff. We've got premieres all over the place this week. The network is truly trying to destroy us with a whole lot of new exciting content. So you better believe that there's going to be some notifications. So make sure you subscribe to AG. On that note, some new episodes up on the AG Patreon this week. So make sure to subscribe. It's the best place to get exclusive bonus content and so much more at patreon.com slash Girls. And looking toward the holiday season, there is also a premium tier. You can record a Patreon app with me or truly or hop on a private Zoom and shoot the shit for you know, however long, hours and hours and hours at a time, just kind of talking about our own thoughts and feels and just having our own um, one-on-one kiki. So you can find that tier and others at patreon.com slash Girls. Wanna replay that AG live show with myself, Ryan Bailey, and Beverly Hills housewife, Crystal Kong Minkoff. You have only days left to watch it. Replay access is available now at moment.co slash Girls. And Lord knows my social is going to be a fucking shit show from the moments before landing in Vegas to whatever happens after. So make sure to follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley. Guys, what a journey. What an adventure. What a ride. Also, P.S., I think it was, it happened right before I got that crazy, crazy, crazy cold that lasted, I swear to God, more than a week. But I never recapped part two of Bethany's deep dive with Lenithia Leakes because I didn't get a chance to listen to it because I was sick and in bed and then other things happened. So um, I want to hear from you. I might post it as a poll on um, IG, but do you want me to recap that? I know that Bethany and Nini have now teamed up to do like a limited series called 
Bethany Nini stuff or Nini Bethany. It's that's not the the formal title, but I guess it is now. Um, so I don't know that I'm going to have the opportunity, gosh darn it, to listen to however many eps they drop. But I would potentially be interested in breaking down the second part of their very very deep dive, especially because that is really the nuts and bolts of. Um, seemingly everything that happened to Nini as a result of being on Housewives and what she has alleged to have taken place since. So curious for your thoughts. Has time, too much time gone by? Or do we want to circle back to that? That could be a bonus drop um, at some point in 2027 or 2029. You just let me know your thoughts. In the meantime, I'm so curious for how you feel about the VF piece, about anything that I said on this episode. So please send me your satchels of gold, your thoughts and feels, questions and concerns, Concerns about all things Vanity Fair, Bethany, Reality Reckoning, Housewives, and more, you can slide into my DMs on Instagram at Dame Galley, message them to me over Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy's Girls, or email me with a thesis, you know I love, at Andy's Girls Show at gmail.com, and they might be included in an upcoming Patreon satchel spectacular. Please remember to include your first name in town or let me know if you want it to be anonymous. And one more thing I say before I depart for this episode, but oftentimes when I get satchels of gold, which I highly encourage length, I love a deep dive. I always feel like when I get a one-liner, I love it. It's like dangling a carrot in front of me, but then I'm like, I want more. Where's the cucumber? Where's the other? (laughs) Where's the lettuce? I want some romaine. I love, love, love reading your thoughts and reactions and often, you know, allowing yourselves the space and the right to really, really process how you're feeling or what you want to express is really, truly as as entertaining to me as hopefully as enjoyable as it is to write. But oftentimes when I get these satchels from people, even if it's like a couple lines, the satchel comes with like, I'm so sorry I went on a rant. I'm so sorry I sent a long message. And so I want to say the thing to you that a Bravo Lab once sent to me albeit not in the best of circumstances, which was give yourself permission to take up space. Because in the world of me talking about there's, um, you know, the idea of guilty pleasures and there's no guilt in experiencing pleasure from reality TV, there's just a lot of opportunity. Um, When it comes to like wanting to spend a lot of time on your opinion or a lot of space on your opinion, a lot of time can be spent with one sentence. And sometimes not a lot of time can be spent on several sentences, but it's also how you feel. So I would love my little, the gift that you can give to me, but hopefully most importantly to yourselves, is not apologizing when you send me your thoughts and feels, especially if the reason for apologizing is because you feel like you took up too much space. I want to, if there's one thing that's like the little lesson on this episode of Andy's Girls, And I know you love when I seem to be a teacher. I'm truly not. I'm just a gal with a microphone that sometimes works. Um, The mic and also myself. That I would love for you to not apologize to me or yourself if you send me a thesis. No, first off, I'm quite literally asking for one. I'm asking for you to take up space. I think There's often nuance that can be found in that. And there's always, always a conversation that I can have. And I try to have as many as I can on Patreon. But just if we can all take them, I'm the person when someone bumps into them, when someone bumps into me on the street, I apologize to them. So like, 
I get it. But I'm also saying um, so you don't have to apologize to me and try maybe just as a little creative exercise. You might not do this, but if you typically do, there's no need to because you're giving me what I asked for, which was like space, meaning a lot, words and stuff, which unsurprisingly is um, something I am not afraid <laughs> to share. <laughs> But also because you have the right to take up space. Because again, this isn't to me a guilty pleasure. It's a genuine opportunity. And I love to hear your thoughts. And if I can more highly encourage in the lead up to BravoCon and whatever else Bravo's got cooking, that we take a little moment to um, enjoy the view. <laughs> Shadow Joy Behar. But also to just take a little moment to own it in the words of whomever and mention it all in the words of whomever and um, stand in that place and take up space and just do it. Just take up space without apology. Just the act of taking up space and standing in it is um, to me complete strength. And there's also so much strength and vulnerability. So, you know, I love those satchels too. All right, kittens. Um, <laughs> I think I'm shopping at Catbird too much. Um <laughs> that note. Thanks to all of you for listening. And I just want to shout out an AG on Andy's Girls Live who messaged in the chat and said something along the lines of like, I think it's so adorable when Sarah tries to end an episode and continues talking. And it was one of the funniest things and the truest things <laughs> I have read of recent because I always say on that note, and then there's about seven extra minutes of closing before I wrap. And this episode is no different. So shout out to you, Mazel of the Day, to whomever said it because they were 1000% right. And I'm echoing that with this episode. So I will say probably for the 30th time on that note, thanks again for listening. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.